welcome to Media MD, your fortnightly dose of media that you have somehow missed. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are back to talk about Game of Thrones. Uh-huh. I'm I'm so nervous, I think. <laughs> Most of the other things we've done where I've gotten bad scores I knew were gambles. Like, you know, when, when something like Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus and you come back and give yeah. it a four, I'm like, well, I mean, that was well, the yeah, risk I took, enough. right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, this this one I I am so passionate about. I'm genuinely nervous uh, to hear your thoughts. Oh, what's it gonna be? <laughs> um, look, I liked it. <laughs> so let's start with that. Um, I think there are. I I do have some criticisms and some interesting things to talk about. But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's yeah, let's whoa. do a plot outline. So I watched. Yeah. So where'd you get the up first to? season? Um, okay. So far, I've watched the first season. So the first, the, this show is a, so many things are happening, and some of them just aren't <laughs> relevant to to the first season at all. I mean, I know they'll be relevant later, but let's. I'm just going to focus on the first season for now. Basically, it's the story of the king, King Robert. His uh, his like second in command, I guess, dies, and so he's looking for a new hand, a new second in command, and he goes to visit his old friend Ned Stark who uh, is a friend from back when they did a rebellion together. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, the show doesn't cover it quite as well, but they, they grew up together. There was like this program when they were kids where all of the big houses would trade kids and, and set them to grow up together to firm relationships right. between the houses. So Ned yeah. Ned and Rob were actually raised by John Aaron, who's that hand who, who dies and, and sort of kicks the whole show off. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So they were raised by him in the Erie, which is his house's thing, which is where you see yeah. uh, Lysa Aaron, the the yes. girl with the cool son. And this is the first thing I wanted to talk about because what you just said really gives a great example of it. It's crazy to me that this show became so mainstream popular because it's not. <laughs> it's not like dumbed down at all. <laughs> if anything, the show's harder to track than the books because the books take the time to give you that extra backstory and and it's just names i i definitely struggled before i'd started reading the books with tracking faces it's so there's so many names and like bloodlines and they're like who is related to who is very very important in the, to to the to this story <laughs> like they don't kind of dumb it down it's very much like oh this person made a slight against this person who knows that person and that means it's going to be implication of this and it's like it really is I'm very surprised that this became so mainstream popular. I, I can see why it did in a lot of ways, but some of the things I'm just like, why did people, why did the the common public just kind of engage with this so much? Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely think there are big chunks of fans who do not really follow a lot of the politics stuff that, that mm. well or in that like a complete mm. way, but there's still other things to enjoy in the show. So it's kind of like, they don't they don't worry about it um like yeah. i definitely know people who are just like i didn't really get that but now it's resulted in this cool thing so whatever yeah maybe that is the answer maybe it just does kind of have a bit of something for everybody right like um a lot of the the kind of driving force uh of, of the show in the first season is ned stark and his children and those are very like yeah. it's it's very easy to engage with them on a dramatic level and kind of enjoy their characters um but really Ned Stark is important to the plot and maybe one of his children is and the rest are kind of like just off doing their own thing for a lot of it um 
and and so it's yeah I, yeah maybe maybe that is the answer it's got a bit of something for everybody um, yeah so <laughs> back to the plot uh so ned stark is kind of the the lord of the north i don't know what his actual title is but he rules over kind of one area of the world the north and there's kind of corresponding lords and families that that have their own little sections of the world that they control um and so Rob kind of gets Ned to come down south to the kingdom, to, to King's Landing, where all the, the crown stuff, the the king's stuff is done. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a bit confusing because the place is referred to as the Seven Kingdoms. And so there are seven families that each rule a kingdom, but they're no longer kings because mm. they're under, like, the Mega King, which is what Robert... Yep. So, so technically, like, uh, Ned Stark is Lord of the North, which is like the kingdom of the North, but he's not the king. Yeah. He's a Lord under Robert. No, so yes. it's, it's it's sort of mixed terminology that's a bit confusing. Yes. And look, I, I'll, ha- I'll say happily, this is one of the first times when uh, a, an intro to a show, the kind of opening credits have been so useful. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because it is a map. It is a sweeping camera shot of a map. And you just get to be like, oh, so this is where Winterfell is in relation to the wall. That's helpful. Um it's a very useful opening credit sequence. Yeah, and they update that throughout the show. So, like, even between or in the middle of seasons. So, I think season two is the first one I can remember where there's a new location introduced, like, two thirds of the way through the season. And so, the opening mm. credits change to focus on that city as well as, you know, the other one. So, it's great for helping you place everything in your head because, uh, yeah. you know, fantasy novels always have that thing where they've got the map at the start or the end of the book yeah. and and this is their way of replicating that. Yeah, you know, really, I think the best thing about this show, it might just be an example of a great way to adapt a book into a TV show. I mean, I mm. I don't know anything beyond the first season, but it it really translates well into a TV show and and there's credit due to whoever <laughs> whoever, you know, adapted it. Oh, absolutely. I think particularly season one is so close to the first book as well. Like I remember reading the first book uh, after sort of seeing the first season and it's almost like you could say shot for shot, like it's very close mm. and, and it diverges more and more. But um, without injecting my opinions on the book too much into this, uh, a lot of the fact that they trimmed in the later parts of the show, it it's better for it. <laughs> uh, there are some there are some bits missing from the later show where I'm like, oh, it's a shame they didn't do that. But there are also a lot of bits where I'm like, I'm glad they didn't waste their time with plotline X, Y, Z. Mm. Uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, so speaking of plotlines, Ned uh, is approached by Robert to become kind of his second in command, the Hand of the King. And he is reluctant, rightfully so, because he doesn't <laughs> want to enter into the whole world of politicking that, that being so uh, close to the King leads to. But he's loyal, and so he becomes the hand, and things start to go badly. Uh, eventually, Robert is poisoned, and Ned finds out that his wife, Cersei Lannister, and his children uh, aren't actually his children. Um, she has been sleeping with her twin brother, and they're his children. And so uh, Ned kind of tries to, I guess, reveal the truth, but gets captured and executed, and this starts a bit of a little rebellion, but we don't really see how that pans out yet. Um, there's all kinds of stuff that is implications of just Ned saying yes to his friend. Yeah, and and then obviously there's a lot you can talk about about how he handles uh, this information because mm. one of Ned's defining character traits in in season one in particular is well, I, I don't think he has many character well, traits outside of season no, one. Exactly. <laughs> uh, 
but I, I'm I'm always trying to not cover him previous to to season one. Um, sure. by that statement, he uh, one of his defining traits is he doesn't want to play the game. Like he has, mm. he he's one of those people who has a very strict moral code, and it's like this is yeah. right, this is wrong, and there's no if buts. You know, it's just I have to do what is right. And yeah, there's definitely a case that can be made that if he'd been a little bit more flexible and handled things a little bit differently, uh, in the end, things could have gone a lot better. Well, you know, it's interesting because he, he definitely that's the correct characterization of him, your description of him, but he he does right before he dies, he makes the decision to lie mm. for his own good, right? To to kind of he kind of chooses to break his moral code a bit for the health of himself and his children. And, and he still gets he's, he's killed for it. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah, it's this tragic end to a guy whose entire life has been defined by his strict moral code. He yeah. he finally flexes it uh, one time, and it um, doesn't matter. And well, and he gets killed for it. Like, yeah, it's it, it's pretty sad in a way. So that that leads me to something else I want to talk about, which is I do feel like this show has been spoiled for me a bit. Um, mm. And I, so the, the 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 structure of the show is I, I kind of expected it to for there to be a lot more action and and stuff, and there is some, but really this is a character drama i mean you're following Mm, for the first season it's a drama that's mainly about ned stark and his family and then you know you follow uh Tyrion lannister and you follow uh daenerys targaryen as well but really that the core of the show for for the first season is ned stark and his family right yeah um and it's it's great it's a it's a really great character drama but the show is built so that it's character drama that then is kind of spiced up with moments of with with twists or moments of action and things like that um that kind of feed you a little bit of of the action that keeps you going through it and i think that worked really well but i know some of these things that are going to happen <laughs> already right um the two big climactic things that happen in the first season are ned stark gets executed which is a surprise you expect him to survive because he does sell out his morals he does play the game and uh and and also i mean speaking for myself back when i watched it when it was only season one that was out um and you know this is 2010 so tv shows didn't really do this sort of thing back then so i was like Mm -hmm. oh no this is a trick and i think it took me till about halfway through the next episode before i was like oh he's actually he is dead like holy shit yeah yeah um there's a there's a shot in the next episode where you see his head on a spike (laughs) and i think that (laughs) shot is there to be like yes we know tv shows don't usually do this but this is how this show works and and the other kind of plot twist i guess that i would say is there's a a a, at the the final the final shot of of the first season is daenerys who has kind of come into her own as mother daughter of of the dragons um, and she's kind of mm. she burns herself alive and she comes out with unscathed no clothes but with three dragons and this is obviously a big moment where it's like oh this is important and <laughs> this is a, a yeah. big thing a big development like shit dragons exist and she has three of them and both of those things i knew going into the show would happen you know not exactly yeah. the circumstances but i knew that those were going to happen and so the whole the the culmination of the first season to me was things that I already kind of knew, and it did, it did lead me to kind of not have those bits that that buoyed me along between the slower character drama. Um, and so I do think that has hurt my impression of the show overall. Like, I don't know, it's 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 unfortunate, but I, th- I think it yeah. is the case. 
I yeah, well, I guess it'd be interesting because those are like the two big ones in the first season. They very much define the mm. direction of of the rest of the show. So it makes sense that those would be two of the big ones. And I think mm. in the prescription, you also mentioned knowing um like part of the Hodor story. Yeah. And, um, and I know some characters, I know some characters die. Like I know some of the characters who don't make it just, I don't mm. know how it's in my brain, but it's in there. <laughs> yeah. I, I imagine it's been hard to miss. Um, I know, you know what else? Cause this was happening. I know that the, the mountain and the hound, who are two characters who haven't really been in it that much, I know that they have like a big showdown, don't they, or something? I don't know. It, yeah, that's that's a whole meme. Uh yeah, there's definitely there's definitely elements. I think part of it um, will be interesting to see how much from the middle. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if there's less bits in the middle that that have slipped mm. through the cracks because it would have there'd be recency bias, and then also I think those season one ones have such an impact on all the rest of it that it makes sense that those are are more likely for you to have sort of come across. Mm. Yeah. And that's not to say there weren't some twists in there that, that I didn't see coming. Um, There's one that's kind of a smaller one. That's kind of a twist on a character beat, not really for a plot purpose. Uh, Jon Snow, who's off at the wall, there's a a really old (laughs) like bookkeeper kind of guy there. Um, Yeah. And he has a conversation with Jon where he reveals that he is the, uh, the uncle of who would become the Mad King. Yeah. And and that's a very important, like, twist that, that is important to the conversation they're having at the time. And that, I think, was one of my favourite scenes of the show um, because <laughs> John is talking about how, oh, nobody knows what it's like for me to have to to have my family over there and I'm stuck here and, and yeah. they're doing all these things. And, and Eamon's and just like, listen here, you little shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's a great moment. And it's one that I think would have been spoiled for me if if I had known that going in. I'm very glad that I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think there's a lot more like little ones. Uh, rewatching it uh, recently for this, uh, I think one that I'd forgotten from season one is the bit where Littlefinger specifically betrays Ned. Um, oh, that was heartbreaking. Yeah, how fantastic is that moment? Because the yeah. the foreshadowing is so strong. He's just constantly telling Ned to stop trusting people and hey, not trusting yeah. me. That's the only smart thing you've done. And then yeah. Uh, Oh, it still ends up happening. It's it's uh, amazing. Yeah, that was, I think, the one betrayal that I really felt uh, like, fuck. <laughs> I thought Littlefinger was on side. Uh, yeah, and yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of the, the summary of the show to me is like, it's a really good, compelling character drama. And the fact that I know some of these things that happen is reducing it, but it's still very well made. Like, it's very well acted. It's It's well written. Mm. It's well paced. It's... There's a lot of things about it that are just really great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, like, I, I would say that, that it maintains that sort of level in, in terms of production and, and quality uh, right mm. up until probably the end of season five. Um, now we're approaching, mm. you know, beyond my rewatch, at least the first three seasons keep it. Uh, but it, it was very much, it's when the books, sorry, when the show overtakes where the books got up to mm. that sort of, you know, they go from adapting to trying to create and and that process or that that transition doesn't go as smoothly as it maybe could have mm, sure i uh, it's hard for me to to i can't comment on that without having seen those parts or <laughs> no having of read course the book i guess let's talk about some other things what are some other things i like uh i like i like the houses i like they they very clearly define kind of the characteristics of a lot of these houses um mm. the lannisters oh they're really rich 
the Starks, oh, they're very honourable. And it, you kind of see it rippled throughout the ways that all of these characters interact. They, they have so many clear, like, you know, like Cersei, Cersei and Jaime and Tyrion feel like siblings in a lot of ways because they, they approach so many problems in similar ways sometimes. And it's just a very, it's, they're very well characterised. I think all the characters yeah. are so compelling. Um, even the ones that I hate, like Jamie yeah. <laughs> Um Oh, yeah. I, I think that's one of the big strengths of the show um, and the books is all of the characters and, and how interesting they are. I, as you said, like I, there are only a handful of characters throughout the entire series that I would classify as good or bad. Like Most of them mm. are in this grey area. Like Tyrion is, is a great example of someone who walks the line Whereas, uh, and, and even Ned, like Ned for me started off as someone who I classified as just good. And then the more you sort of sit on exactly how he ended up being executed, the more you sort of like, well, mm. you know, if he hadn't been so rigid and, and you yeah. know, been a bit more understanding of the complexities of his situation, he might have done better for the realm. And, and Varys explicitly calls him out on that uh, towards yeah. the end of his, of his prison time. Yeah, something that's very interesting to me and I, I can't wait to see is uh, the character of Sansa is somebody that I that I hated <laughs> yeah. uh, throughout the whole first season um, because she's horrible and annoying most of the time. <laughs> I, you know, towards the end of the first season, she's she's acti- actively kind of rebelling a bit against Joffrey and trying to speak up for her dad and all kinds of things. Um, but I mentioned this, I, I watched uh, like episode eight and nine with my girlfriend who's seen the whole show and I mentioned, oh, I hate Sansa. And she was like, oh, well, Sansa in seasons five and six is one of my favorite characters. And I'm just like, uh, what? How? She she drove me nuts uh, when I f- first got into the show and books. And then I think by the time you see where her character arc it ends up, uh, mm. she's a lot more into it. Like, I found her a lot less annoying on this rewatch than I did the first time I watched it. Because especially compared to the rest of her family, she just comes across as so whiny and ineffectual. Um, like, she's yeah. just always doing the wrong thing. Um, yep. it's, it seems like, uh, and, and sort of knowing where she ends up, uh, I found her journey a lot more interesting the second time. Like she's definitely someone to keep an eye on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that speaks to the strength of the characters, right? That they're, they're able to have such, uh, interesting arcs, I guess. Um, you know, as I sort of talking about how, how great all these arcs are and, and, you know, seeing the, as you're only effectively one eighth of the way through the whole story. Um, mm-hmm. I'm interested to hear some of your thoughts on your favourite and least favourite characters and, and why. Um, and I think mm. this will be particularly enjoyable. This is me turning the tables on you from Deep Impact and getting to hear your your speculations <laughs> and, and incomplete knowledge coming through. Sure. Uh, sure. I think the character I liked watching the most was Arya Stark. Um, she's yeah. just She's just a character type that is very compelling. Uh, the child who kind of always their heart is in the right place and they kind of do they're they're kind of getting themselves into trouble a lot um very very compelling character type oh and fight fighting against like her tomboy her tomboy nature where she's fighting against just being you know Mm. where all those bits where ned's like oh you're gonna marry a great lord and give him children and she's like no get fucked Um, (laughs) yes actually towards the end of season one there's a marriage arranged for her which she doesn't know about yet so i'm interested to see where that goes (laughs) um other characters i like i like theon greyjoy he is a compelling character and i think the idea of him being 
basically the the descendant of somebody who tried to rebel against the Starks and they quashed that rebellion <laughs> and now he kind of lives with them and is is a brother to to them i think that's a very interesting an interesting character idea the dynamic of being both a prisoner and a sort of pseudo family member is yeah. is very interesting yeah obviously he's very close with rob and it's like they yeah. they genuinely see each other as brothers and i'm sure there'll be some interesting things to happen there um I like somebody whose name I don't know, but he's the knight that kind of hangs out with uh, Daenerys. Mormont. Uh, Mormont, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like jo- Jolie, Jolo. Jo- Jorah. Jorah, that's it. He's interesting. Uh, he's a, a character that you don't know if you can trust to, mm. to kind of keep Daenerys safe, uh, but he kind of proves himself a few times over the course of season one, going against Viserys and, and uh, getting an order to to help get Daenerys killed and, you know, <laughs> and, and not doing it, um, and then kind of actively trying to keep her safe later on. Um, he's a very compelling character. And, of course, uh, Varys, the spymaster in King's Landing. Yeah, the spider. Yeah, he's also very compelling because he is, <laughs> I think, one of the very few characters that genuinely tries to do what is for the best of the Seven Kingdoms. <laughs> like... He's very open about this being his motivation, and he he seems to live it. He's one of the few people. He's one of the few people who actually cares about like the common folk. Uh, yeah. There's there's very much a tendency for all of the highborns to get embroiled in their disputes with the other highborn houses and throw armies at each other. Uh, and Varys is one of the few people who's kind of like, yeah, but those are people. Yeah, I, I I see kind of Ned Stark as a good example of somebody who kind of is close to being that, but let's honor be his driving force more than what is actually for the good of the people um yeah Varys isn't like that he's just like yes i'm going to help the common man <laughs> here's how i'm gonna do it mm. uh yeah. well so what about what about characters who you hate uh, i'm very interested to hear, <sighs> hear who you despise well i hate jamie lannister he's a jerk <laughs> he's a big old jerk and he's he's currently in the custody of the uh, stark army and ned has just been killed uh, so I'm hopeful that they're going to retaliate against him and just fucking off him, but I suspect that's not going to be the case. Um, well, no comment. I mean, almost... You know a character I really like is Tywin Lannister. Um, yeah. I hate Cersei and I hate Jaime. They're horrible people. <laughs> uh, but Tywin is a villain that I actually can kind of get behind in a lot of ways. I mean, he's a total piece of shit, for sure, but he isn't... I don't know. He doesn't come across as like as much of a huge dick as Jamie and Cersei are. Sorry, did you say Tywin or Tyrion? Tywin. Tywin. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the good. dad, Papa Lannister. Just making sure. Uh, uh, Tyrion's fun yeah. as well, but he hasn't. I don't know. He hasn't. He's been fun to watch, but he hasn't like engaged with the plot in any meaningful way yet. Uh, yeah, fair enough. He's he he spends most of it just sort of accompanying just other characters for bits. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like Which he goes up to the wall with John, and then he gets captured by Cat, and yep. and does various bits and pieces. He's had a, a kind of buddy dynamic with him and uh, a woman that he really likes, uh, a mysterious woman, and and this guy whose name I can't remember either. <laughs> um, Bron. That's the one. Yep. And they just have this weird kind of buddy dynamic over the last yeah. few episodes of season one. Um, I'm very interested to see where that goes. Uh, no, but yeah. you're right. Tywin, Tywin is is one of my favorites as well because you're right. He's just Coldstone. He he reflects Ned for me in a lot of ways. He's kind of the mm. the 
more evil version of Ned or like what Ned would yeah. be like if if he was more ruthless and had more money. Yeah. I mean one great example is uh Tyrion gets gets kidnapped and this is what makes Tywin go to war in part because of the honor of old I mean mostly because <laughs> because of honor like oh they can't yeah. mess with a Lannister and expect to get away with it. Like he he lives his life by a strict code. He's not really like scheming overtly. He's just like yeah, I I I find him very compelling as a villain, much more so than Cersei and and Jaime, who are like snakes. Mm. Mm. Yeah, uh, Tywin's introduction scene as well, where he's uh, gutting the deer as he's just having the conversation, is is such a fantastic introduction. <laughs> Wait, what is the deer? One of the animals of a house? Is that yeah, it's some the it's the it's the Baratheon one. Ah, uh, uh, okay, <laughs> sure, yeah, a, okay, it's very it. on point. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. Because obviously, um, there's the scene in the first episode where they find all the direwolf pups. Yeah. Uh, and because this, this was not clear to me the first time I watched the show, and it was only when I read the book that I actually understood it. It was a stag and a direwolf that had killed each other. And obviously, that is, you know, the oh. house of the house of Stark and the house of Baratheon. So, yeah. Uh, and there's actually people who tell Ned that he shouldn't take the offer because this was some sort of omen. Uh, yeah. that their two houses would sort of, you know, ram each other into the ground. Um, and then there's just five pups. <laughs> yes, and even a odd one out for Jon Snow, the, the bastard. Yeah. Classic. And, of course, that's the situation that we find ourselves in over the course of season one. Um, yeah, I, look, I think we could talk about the characters in the show forever <laughs> because they're all so compelling. And I love knowing that each of these characters has has their time you know like I, yeah. I don't expect that there'll be any character who doesn't have a chance to be explored except maybe uh rickon stark the youngest star child <laughs> who is in i think one scene <laughs> yeah I, anyway. I mean especially because the the show has this interesting job in in the books most of, like rob stark is i believe in book one 13 years old maybe 14 uh, oh, wow. and and so okay. is john uh and daenerys is like 12 which makes all the stuff that happens between her and Khal Drogo a little bit more uh, confronting. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the show sort of aged up some of those people, but not not others. So, like, you know, Rickon is five or six in the books and, and he mm. comes off as, as that in the show, whereas I think a, yeah, lot of the, about that. a lot of the people who are 13, 14 in, in the books, they sort of went, oh, this isn't going to work in screen. We need to up them to feel like they're 17 yeah. or so. Yeah, I think that's the right choice, honestly. I think it was too. You know who we haven't touched on basically at all is <laughs> Daenerys, who uh, yeah. I think also is one of my favorite characters. It, it's so it's such an interesting dynamic because she is somebody who has been banished because her family was evil, and <laughs> every mm. mention of her family that we get is they're horrible, right? But Daenerys is a seemingly quite a benevolent. I mean, she acts well as a as a Khaleesi when she becomes Khaleesi. She she seems nice enough. Um, I find her a very interesting character, um, similar to, I guess, Tyrion in some ways, where it's like, you are from this house that people think is evil, and yet you are kind of these very nuanced, fascinating characters. Um, I'm excited to see her be relevant to the plot. <laughs> yes, I, I'm I'm biting my tongue a lot as you're talking, because there's so much I want to say on what you just said about Daenerys um, that would essentially be spoilers, so I'm... I'm going to hold back, maybe maybe in the annual checkup. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that impression a lot when I talk to people about Game of Thrones. Yeah. 
Um, uh, well, so I guess one other character we haven't really talked about, uh, who I, I'd just like to briefly touch on, would be John John Snow, sure. who the the bastard of Winterfell, who makes his way yep. up to the wall. Uh, and specifically, yep. I guess the one point I really want to talk about is uh, there's some attention drawn to who his mother might potentially be, uh, because oh. N- Ned Stark obviously is not the sort of person who who cheats on someone willy nilly. So I'm wondering if you have any potential theories uh, at this stage. I hate to spoil this for you, Elliot, but I actually know who his parents are. <laughs> oh, bummer. I, I could theory craft, you know. Like, <laughs> I, look, I don't think I would have guessed it um, if I didn't know it, but uh, it makes sense. Obviously, Ned, you're right, is not the type of person to cheat on his wife, and so <laughs> the answer is he didn't. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, you know, we, we don't need to get into that. I, I actually want to kind of see how that is revealed to uh to to john because i think that is a, another fascinating arc of like him trying to be a stark um and yeah. i guess he kind of is but he's he's more a targaryen <laughs> yeah well and i i i've found personally on this rewatch it's been great uh seeing how that reshapes like particularly his relationship with uh caitlin stark um who hates him for mm. you know re- representing ned cheating on her and sort yeah. of watching watching it with the knowledge that that's not actually what happened, recontextualizes her feelings on him a bit uh, in a yeah. really interesting way. I guess it'll be interesting to find out for her. I, I don't know if she's still alive when this all comes to light, but it'll be interesting to see her reaction to uh, to finding out who who he is and the kind of that Ned know that one thing that you thought Ned did that wasn't honourable actually was maybe one of the most honourable things he's done. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah, look... I think let's save some stuff because I think we'll probably talk about this show again when I'm further through it. <laughs> uh, I'd I'd love to, yeah. Um, yeah. Look, let's give it a number, a yes. number out of ten. And I do think I think I would give this quite a high score, except my experience with it has been a bit ruined by by some spoilers. So it does take it down to what I'm gonna give. I think a eight out of ten for Game of Thrones. Yeah, I I think for for just season one where you've had some bits ruined for you, I I think mm. that's probably fair. Um, I'd be I'd be interested to catch up with you as you further into it and see see what your thoughts on the series as a, more yeah, of a whole are later. To, I'll have to catch up and maybe finally experience some things myself unspoiled. Um, <laughs> but yes, Elliot, your your years long plan to start a podcast to finally get me to watch Game of Thrones <laughs> has paid off. <laughs> it was all worth it. <laughs> oh, and with that, the Game of Thrones is over. Now, we're getting into a discussion uh, about what we're going to be talking about next fortnight. But for that, we have a special uh, guest recommender that we'd like to teleconference in now. So, uh, Elliot, if you could just tune the dials and, and, and tweak the settings and we'll... Uh, hello? Hello? H- hello? 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 <laughs> Perfect. There we go. Welcome, Scott Daly. Hi, how's it going? Thank you guys so much for having me on. I'm excited. Yes. Oh, we, thanks we for being here. We figured out a way to, to cross the streams and now you're here. Um, <laughs> so uh, what, do you, what do you have for us to, to check out this fortnight, Scott? Um, the, the movie I picked for you, or I guess the thing I picked for you, is the 1976 classic uh, American sports film, Rocky. Mm. I actually had no idea it was that old. Yeah, that yeah. seems old to me as well, but... It's Stallone, and he's kind of pretty pa- past his prime now, so it's you know, back from the day. <laughs> never, impossible. He will never be past his prime. His prime I'm, follows him wherever he goes. I mean, yeah. they're still making Rocky movies, aren't they? Aren't they? Like, there's some that have come out in the last like five to ten years. 
Yeah, they're. I mean, they've moved on to Creed now, um, which mm. is a whole thing that you'll find you'll find out about. But um, <laughs> he is still a, he is still a very important character in the movies. He is not the main character in the newest ones. But oh, um, okay, they've uh, passed the torch, have they? Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Supposedly, he's he's still he's still pretty important in the movies, though. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so obviously, Rocky is famous enough that uh i know a few things about it i know that he likes to punch meat and i know that he runs up and down stairs in philadelphia i think wow yeah yeah that's it you did it that's that's, that's everything <laughs> all right well i guess we don't even need to watch the movie <laughs> no uh, but you know with with movies like this whenever we whenever uh we recommend movies or we we cover movies or anything that's from a, that's like considered a classic it's always very interesting to hear what it is that that whoever's recommending it actually thinks is has given it that classic status. So I'm curious to hear what you what you love about it. Yeah, I mean this this is a very interesting movie and I think it's like I I have decided long ago because I got tired of like having a panic attack everyone asked me what my favorite movie was. I decided <laughs> that I was just going to pick a movie to be my favorite movie and even if it's not technically like the favorite at that second, it's just the answer I give people. Um and I picked this movie. Um mm. so this is when people ask me what's your favorite movie, my answer is immediately Rocky. Mm. And a lot of times people are surprised by that. And I think it's because a lot of people's perception of what Rocky is as a movie comes uh, from the fourth movie in the series. Rocky four is the one where uh, Rocky himself like single-handedly ends the cold war. It's the big Russian (laughs) one. And it's, and it's, it's a big, dumb, stupid sports movie. Um, Mm -hmm. And so people think that what Rocky is, is just a bunch of big, dumb, stupid sports movies, but they're really not. I mean, this, this first movie it barely has any boxing in it. Um, it it has it, it is it is much more a character study of this guy, this kind of down on his luck guy who's not very bright, who has one skill in the world and gets an opportunity to finally do something with his life. And it's about him and, and a love story between him and this woman he meets. Um, and it's just kind of this just like beautiful, small character journey of this one guy who Sylvester Stallone plays with this lovable aplomb. And, and, and that's like. I'd love it. I, I, that's why I love it. Like, it's just not, it's not what anyone thinks it is. Um, yes, it has the montages. Yes, it does have boxing. He does, mm. he does punch meat. You were correct. Um, <laughs> but, but that is so, that is so much not what the movie is. Um, and every time I have that conversation with people and then I get them to watch Rocky, you know, nine times out of 10, they're like, wow, you're right. I, it, this is not the type of movie that I thought it was going to be. It, it sounds like, um, something similar to a diehard situation where, there's a movie that's just this great kind of small story, but because it's so popular, they have to make a franchise out of it. And so it goes in uh, very weird directions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I love a lot of the Rocky movies. Um, I, I, the only one I don't like actually is the big, dumb, stupid sports movie, which is the, mm. the what everyone says Rocky four is their favorite movie. Um, it's my least favorite of them. So I, I think maybe when we come back and talk about the movies at the end, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about, what mm. the sequels do and what they do that works and what they do that doesn't. But um, this this one, this movie, the first Rocky, is nothing like any of the other ones. And, I mean, I, this movie won the Best Picture Academy Award. Like, that, that's something I have to remind people of, too. Because no one, when you think of Rocky, you don't think of Oscar-winning movie. Yeah, but, best Picture, for sure. But it mm. did. <laughs> it's directed or written by Sylvester Stallone as well, isn't it? Yeah, he wrote it. Um, it's yeah, directed okay. by John G. Alvidson, um, who did you know a bunch. He did a lot of other sports movies. He did the Karate Kid movies. Um, mm. Okay, 
but mm. uh, I think this is probably his his best movie. What it, so you, you you talked about liking the kind of smaller character focused scope of it. Is that mm-hmm. what you think elevates it to be a classic? It's kind of focus on this one character. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's it is it it is a very kind of I, I don't think they make movies like this anymore. And I say that knowing that like we talked about they're making more movies in the series still, and I love the Creed <laughs> movies. I think they're fantastic, but they are not the same. This is different. Um this is this is very much a movie of the 70s. That just the, the way it's shot, the way uh, the way the story unfolds, how like the slow, quiet moments. This is kind of like surpri- a surprisingly slow movie throughout it um, until we have our big scene at the end, our big fight scene at the end. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the, it, it is it is a movie of its time and it is a movie that actually I think ages, even though it is a movie of the 70s, I think it ages rather well. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I always love going back to movies that are classics and just asking the question of, well, how does this stack up? What's the to someone who has never seen it before, how does it measure? Yeah. Um, it's always an interesting thing. I'm really curious to see what you guys are going to react to this, because I don't know if this is like um, like a quintessentially American movie to where like it just it just doesn't <laughs> mm. it just doesn't work elsewhere where people are just like, nah, I, I, I don't know. I have no way of experiencing that. So I'm really curious what you guys think of it. I mean, I think the 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 the, the, the secret hidden weapon of this movie is that Rocky as a character is just so damn lovable. Like, that's just the, the type of character he is. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say Sylvester Stallone is a wonderful actor, but um, <laughs> this this character that he created um, is absolutely his best work, no question. Mm, interesting. I, yeah, I, it's curious. Boxing is, is something that isn't, I don't know, it doesn't feel very Australian to me, or at least it feels <laughs> very American. So yeah, I'm curious yeah. how well it will translate. Yeah, I don't I don't know. And I, and I I mean, I have a soft spot for boxing. I don't I this thing where I don't know if I love all boxing movies because I loved Rocky or I just like boxing movies generally. Um, <laughs> I there, I can't I don't know. I don't know. But I generally like all boxing movies. I think I think boxing is a sport that I would never, ever want to participate in. And I think shouldn't be a sport anymore <laughs> because it's really bad. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, but in in the the frame of a, a, a story, I think boxing is like a perfect, a perfect sport to talk about a character and to talk about, um, you know, character growth and change and, and, and heart and power and all these things. It just, it just translates very well. Um, so I, I like, I like the sport a lot, uh, in movies only. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. It does seem like a, a, a sport that will translate. I mean, it's like, it's very physical, which kind of makes it engaging, but also it's got basically a three act structure built right into the sport. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and it's also, it's, it's so singular, you know, it's that one-on-one, it's very simple and it's kind of quick. Like you get that one punch that sort of summarizes it. Like yeah. y- y- a tennis movie wouldn't work quite as well because it's like, and then they won the <laughs> 200th point and, and they did it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and so much of boxing, um, and this is coming from a person who has never done it. So take everything I say with a grain of salt, but I, so much of boxing, I think is you know, mind over matter. I mean, you are literally like getting punched mm. in the face until you fall down and it is mm. making your brain say, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it this time. Um, so it mm. is so much that, that mental toughness um, and, and, and this movie and all boxing movies, but I think this movie especially plays into, into that. It, it's part, it's a defining characteristic of our main character and is part of the reason why we're seeing him in this match in the first place. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Well, we'll have to check it out. Are there any other specific things you want to call out for us to keep an eye out for, Scott? Um, 
the only thing I'll say is like try <laughs> try to remember that it was the seventies and sure. um some of the gender <laughs> politics going on in this movie are not the greatest. Mm. Um I, I think that's probably something we're gonna have to talk about specifically, um, especially when it comes to the Adrian character. But uh I mean there there are there are certainly parts of it that are adorable and great, but um there's you're definitely gonna have some moments where you're gonna feel uncomfortable. Um mm. And it's unfortunate, but uh, but just 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 try to keep them uh, just, just say, yes, yes, I acknowledge that. But let's put that aside and let's look yeah. at the rest of the movie. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, OK, yeah, cool. That's uh, something you sort of have to do a lot when watching movies from back then now. Yeah. 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 I mean, anytime you're watching a movie more than God, t- 10 years old <laughs> these days. Yeah. You're, you're going to have to you're going to have to do that. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I guess we'll check it out and we'll uh, we'll dial you back in in two weeks to uh to to see what we thought of it i can't wait i almost rewatched it just for this part and then i was going to rewatch it again for two weeks from now but i, I decided to only do it the one time because i haven't seen this movie enough clearly it's only been like a yeah. hundred times yeah fair enough if you can't recite it word for word you haven't seen it enough times <laughs> yeah. yeah actually i think it'll be interesting i mean obviously we'll check out rocky but then I, I really would find it fascinating to watch the evolution of the films. I don't know how many of them we'll end up getting through, though. Yeah, I, I, w- I would I would love to hear about that, because um, I do. I have, I have very strong opinions on each and every one of them. Mm. <laughs> yeah, time permitting, I might try and, and watch a few others. Maybe not, you know, two and three. I might skip skip around, but it'd be interesting to get a clearer picture of the whole franchise. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, we'll have to uh, check it out in two weeks, and we'll see what we thought. All right. Now, if you'd like to uh, connect with the show, um, you can find us on Twitter at MediaMDPodcast. You can uh, shoot us a tweet and uh, see how we see how we do. Uh, yes, you can also contact us via email at MediaMDPodcast at gmail.com. If you want to hear more of us talking about more things, you can uh, check out our other show, Deep Impact. We have just uh, released our episode uh, Collateral 4.11, so we're a hefty way through the story, but there's still time to get into it. Yes, and uh, if you want to help the show out, please leave us a review on iTunes. Those are really valuable. Preferably a yeah. good one. All the stuff, <laughs> well, you know, can be good, yeah. can be bad. Either or, it doesn't. It's up to you, if you like it. Um, all those things we just mentioned, you can uh, find links to do at our website, which is MediaMDPodcast.com. And from there, you can also find all of the clues for the MediaMD ARG. You can help us figure out just who is Dr. MD and why is his throne so spiky. Elliot, why don't you tell the listeners this fortnight's clue? light bulb. Mm, light bulb. And we'll see you next fortnight.